shorthanded breakaway. Zach Hyman for the lead. Shoots and scores. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, left circle. Cross ice, one-timer score. This game is tied. Leon Dreisaitl. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates. Alberta Injury Lawyers. The heavy hitters of injury law. The Calgary Flames playing at St. Louis for the second straight game. They played a couple of days ago. The Blues took it 4-3 in overtime. They were about to drop the puck. The Flames with 47 points. The Oilers with 47 points. If you only look at points and ignore points percentage, which I don't, but I will for the purpose of simplification here, those two teams are the two wildcard teams in the Western Conference. The Flames are ranked higher because they have a game in hand, which they are about to play. Oilers back at it tomorrow at San Jose. We'll have inside sports from 6 to 7. Face-off show at 7. Late game starting at 8.30. Also in the NHL tonight, Seattle trying to make it seven in a row against a team that hardly ever loses well seattle has the lead one nothing five minutes into the second period in boston brandon tanev has his eighth of the season detroit leading toronto one nothing in the second period after the first canucks and lightning in a 1-1 tie garland and perry the goal scorers jets up one nothing in buffalo that's about three minutes into the second period islanders lead minnesota one nothing with two minutes left in the first canadians up 2-1 on Nashville, that's at the end of the first period. Kirby Dock has his seventh. Stars and Rangers scoreless in the second. Hurricanes leading the Blue Jackets 2-1. That's after the first period. Brent Burns with his sixth of the season there. NBA tonight, Raptors 38, Hornets 29. That is at the end of the first quarter. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630, Chet. Uh, we got some really interesting guests lined up for you tonight, including... Mike Murphy is going to join me after the 6.30 news. This is the gentleman who, uh, well, at the end of 2020, retired as the NHL's vice president of hockey operations. He uh, worked his final official shift in the, in the war room overlooking video reviews on uh, New Year's Eve, and he was a big part of the NHL's video review system. Also had a long career as, uh, as a player, coach, executive, so a really interesting guy, and we're happy to have him on the show, and I'm really looking forward to getting some insight into the, uh, the behind-the-scenes workings of, of video review and, and the war room and some of the discussions that go on. So that's Mike Murphy coming up after the 630 news hope you can stick around for that all right so the Oilers practice today in San Jose getting ready for the Sharks tomorrow coming off that 6-2 thumping of the Anaheim Ducks last night which included a piece of brilliance from Connor McDavid now across to CC a snapshot saved by Gibson big rebound Fowler is able to take it in behind the goal for Anaheim he'll then lose it as Yamamoto stole the puck gave it to McDavid out of the left wing corner the backhand what a shot by McDavid. Great goal by McDavid. Cam Moon with the call. So McDavid driving down the left side and then spinning into the middle, taking a couple steps into the slot and just whizzing a backhand past John Gibson. Beautiful goal. Now, Kyler Yamamoto answered some questions from reporters today in San Jose, and uh, he was having some laughs about drawing an assist on that play. 
But I said, hey, that's what I said. Great pass. That's what I said. I did a lot of the work there. <laughs> I kind of saw him. I saw him spin around. I was like, oh, I don't even know where to go anymore right now. This is unbelievable. And he sniped. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like I'm going right to the huddle, right? You think anyone in the world knows who got the assist on that goal? Yeah, probably not. Not a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, funny stuff there from Yamamoto, who, who did help set it up by getting the puck and creating the, the, the turnover, and then McDavid kind of went to work there. I'm sure Oilers fans know who got the assist because they keep track of everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I liked what he said there. Sometimes when you're out there with McDavid, you're not even sure as his line mate <laughs> what, what you're going to do. But as Yamamoto says, all he had to worry about was just going to the huddle and congratulating McDavid after the goal was scored. But Yamamoto having some laughs on that one. Like I said, dominant game by the Oilers. Uh, I mean, uh, like when they played Anaheim in December, large discrepancy on the shot clock. This time, they're able to get the victory. Um, another positive game for Clem Costin, who scores two more goals. He's been quite a revelation since coming over in that trade with St. Louis at the start of the season. Uh, and he continues to provide a bit of spark to the lineup. As I always say, you have to take into account the QO, the quality of the opponent. But these are wins the Oilers need. They, they still play the Ducks two more times. They have all four meetings against San Jose still to come. Another team near the bottom of the standings. So they're in a situation here where uh, they, they, can't, they can't let the winnable game slip away. And, and look, it's not realistic to say you got to beat every poor team every time. But they're going to have to win the large majority of those games. Because it's tight. I, I mean, regardless of what happens tonight between St. Louis and Calgary... Edmonton's going to lose ground against one of those teams. Oilers fans, you just don't want it to go to overtime. You don't want both teams getting points. As I said with the points, it's Calgary 47, Edmonton 47, St. Louis 45. The points percentage, Calgary 560, Edmonton 547, St. Louis 536. So uh, pick your poison. Somebody's getting two points. Somebody's going to have a better points percentage. Somebody will drop a little bit. Nashville and Colorado hanging around. Nashville's playing Montreal tonight. They're a 550 points percentage. Colorado at 551. So at the moment, you got five teams competing competing for the two wildcard spots. Maybe one of them will play well enough to challenge for top three in the division. That'll force another team down, uh, or maybe one of the top three teams in the Central or the Pacific is going to drop. With the Pacific, and we talked about it a lot, I, I thought it would be Seattle, and I thought maybe even L.A., but L.A. has shored up the goaltending. They now have an even goal differential. They've won three in a row. And it's like Seattle, if, if they win in Boston tonight... That's going to be a monumental accomplishment because here is Boston's home record on the season, 19-0-3. So Boston has 41 out of a possible 44 points at home, and they've never gone home from a home game, so to speak, empty-handed. They have not been beaten in regulation time on their own rink this season. So if Seattle goes in there and wins their, their seventh in a row. I mean, I suppose whether it's regulation or uh, overtime or shootout, but it's halfway through the game now. It's still one nothing for the Kraken. And by the way, they're out shooting the Bruins 21-11. I don't, I don't have this game on. I got Calgary and St. Louis on. But the shot clock would indicate that's a, a well-deserved lead by the Seattle Kraken, who are, are turning out to be one of, the, one of the top stories in the NHL this season. And... How about this? Here's Seattle's road record, 14-4-2. So the Oilers beat them that one game, 7-2. They haven't lost since. They beat the, they beat the Islanders, came to Edmonton, played a few other games across Canada, and now are in Boston and just show no signs of slowing down. So 
feel, hey, look, th this is the halfway point of the season tonight for Seattle. There are a lot of games left. So, again, any team that's fighting for a wildcard spot, sure, they could move up, but but there's work to be done, and, and the work needs to start happening soon. So, anyway, that's uh, that's a quick update there on what's going on with the Oilers and the uh, the playoff positioning, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on that Seattle-Boston game. That's one to focus on this evening. You can get in touch, of course, on the hotline presented by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way, 780-496-0063. Always happy to hear from you. You can follow me on my super boring Twitter account, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S, and you can send me an email. Now, the Twitter is boring. I'm always excited if I get an email. Inside Sports at 630Ched.com. So Mike Murphy's going to be on the show. As I told you, he's the NHL Vice President of Hockey Operations, an integral part of whatever you want to call it, the war room, the situation room, the, the team of gentlemen making video review decisions. And I'm really happy to have him on because I think, I, I think it's important to hear from people in those positions. And as I've talked about many times in the past, and if you're a regular listener to this show or, or to the Face-Off show, uh, you know that, I think it would be great if referees even occasionally did post-game interviews or if at times the NHL provided a little more clarity when they explain video review decisions. Sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they might say what actually happened. Other times team A might make a, a challenge for goalie interference against their goaltender and it'll get reviewed and the goal will stand and the NHL statement will be at 431 of the second period team a initiated a video review claiming that team B had committed goaltender interference after video review it was determined that team B did not commit goalie interference which just restating the the, the verdict to, to me is not explaining the play but I personally think it's it's helpful to, to talk to these people. Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed uh, Tim Peel a couple times for NHL referee. Bob has had former NHL ref uh, Dave Jackson on his show a couple of times. Um, you know, and I've talked to officials from other sports. I mean, we had FIFA's Dave Gantar, the Edmontonian, on. Uh, he was on around Christmas time. That was a really good interview. I've talked to baseball umpires. Um, Karen Lasuk is another local uh, high-end basketball referee that I've, that I've interviewed in the past. I think these interviews are helpful. And I know there's some of you probably thinking, Reed, who cares? All referees are evil and they're out to screw my team. <laughs> but trust me, you're wrong and it's not that simple. They're trying to make the right decision, and it's not always going to go your team's way, whether that's the Oilers, Elks, or whoever we're talking about. But I do find these types of interviews very informative because there's always something that I don't know or something that they're looking for or something in the decision-making process that I didn't hear about. it. And like they're never trying to get the call wrong. Sometimes you might think, well, I don't know about that, but... You know, sometimes they might think, and I'm going to ask Mike Murphy about this, how do you handle things where you know it's a gray area? You know, what percentage does it have to be for a video review to, to overturn something? You know, how, how much do you listen to what the referee saw at live speed and all that kind of stuff? Because nobody's ever going to be happy with calls. I, I mean, I can think of three calls in Oilers playoff games off the top of my head that would be considered controversial. Uh, game five, Anaheim the tying goal with Talbot's pad and Kessler 
um, the the one that went the Oilers' way in Game Five against uh, Calgary last year, with the Blake Coleman play being called a, a kick in, and then the, the Makar offside, which confused a lot of people at first. Though once we looked into it, the, I mean the ruling made sense, though it perhaps went against the um, the the logic of 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 the offside rule itself. But but I think it's important to hear about how these decisions are made because I'm, I'm one where I, when I see something like that, I, I don't go towards the emotional side. I, I always try to think, okay, I'm going to assume that the official is right, that he or she knows more about the rule and enforcing the rule than I do. I'll always, especially for NHL games, you know, I have, I actually have a physical copy of the rule book or I'll often just look at it online. And then once you read stuff, I'm often, Oh, okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. If I interpret that letter for letter, word for word, that is the right call, even though even if it goes against what I believe the rule was or logically what I thought the rule was, or maybe that's what happened in an earlier situation, but now I realize those two decisions do those two decisions aren't comparable. So that's why I'm looking forward to uh, to talking to to Mike Murphy and and he's a great story too, by the way. I mean, like I said, uh, player for a long time made the transition to be the vp of hockey operations in the nhl so just a very cool story as well all right 780-496-0063 we'll call a quick timeout it's inside sports on chat inside sports with reed wilkins is brought to you by james h brown and associates alberta injury lawyers the heavy hitters of injury law Good to have you tuning in tonight. Eight and a half minutes into the first period. No score between the Flames and the Blues. We'll keep you updated on uh, that one. And, of course, closely watching the Seattle-Boston game. So, Kellen, I got the Blues on. You got the Seattle game on there? I do, yeah. What's I've been watching on? this one since the beginning. It should honestly be 2-1 uh, Seattle right now, but both goalies are uh, uh, just putting on a outstanding performance. So it's a good game so far. All right. 780-496-0063. What do you have, Kellen? Uh, just one text coming in right now for this half hour. It's an unknown text. Reed, why is Eric Carlson not being considered for the Oilers? Oh, thank thank God someone's made my day with a trade suggestion. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, please send more. That's great. Uh, okay, first of all, look. I mean, again, like I was saying the other night, you, you never know with some of these details. Do the Oilers appear to be hot and heavy in on Eric Carlson? Doesn't seem like it at the moment. Because something changed between now and March 3rd? Yes. Eric Carlson's having a fantastic season on a poor team. 56 points in 43 games. He's minus three. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest reason that is going to stop uh, the Oilers or other teams from pursuing Eric Carlson is the fact that his cap hit is $11.5 million a year until the summer of 2027. So that's a lot of money, even for a team that is not up against the cap, to uh, to add that. So, uh, again, any trade suggestion you want to send me, we can talk about. N- nothing is impossible. I think some are more likely than others. Um, does, does Eric Carlson... Uh, make the Oilers better? Yes. Uh, is his uh, is would his skill set be a, a total pro? Like, do they obviously he's having an incredible season, so so he would help. Uh, uh, but I don't know. 
I think they're probably looking for somebody who doesn't make as much. And even if they look for somebody who's just primarily a defensive defenseman, that's probably what they're they're looking for along those lines. I mean, it's easy to throw out any name and say they got to get this guy. Well, sure, but a you got to give something up, and and b you have to be able to fit him under your salary cap. And, and again, neither of those things is impossible. But if your question is why isn't Eric Carlson an, uh, an Oiler or however that was worded, that that would be my answer. So and like I was saying the other day, I'm going to get a lot of trade suggestions between now and March 3rd. They ain't all going to happen. So the large majority of you are going to be disappointed when it comes to your your trade idea. <sighs> What else, Kellen? That's it? That's it for right now. <laughs> That's the one, eh? That's the, the one. The Pretty only one. It needs to be the cream of the crop when it's a crop of one. Well, it's it's singular. One is the lonely, loneliest number. One, one is the indeed the loneliest number. Yeah. All right. 780-496-0063. We're going to see Eric Carlson with the Sharks. Tomorrow night. Uh, Drew Remenda's coming up as well. He covers the San Jose Sharks, so maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about Eric Carlson as uh, as we get into that conversation. I got a question for you, Reed. Oh, please ask me. Uh, in relation to the Bruins and their home record, what makes them so good at home? Do you think they, they, they don't lose much? <laughs> Obviously, right? Well, they, they don't lose a lot of. I mean, they got a they got a good team. I mean, look the, uh, and. If, for people who have listened to the show over the years, they they will know that in in terms of my non-broadcasting life, I, I'm not overly fond of the Boston Bruins. Um, their home their away record is 13 four and one, so they don't lose a lot. Uh, I mean, there were some questions about what, how their roster was going to look, but they got a lot of guys playing well. They've been getting good goaltending. You know, I think you know we talk a lot about identity of teams in the National Hockey League. I, I would say this, Boston Bruins hockey inspires certain, makes you think of certain characteristics, probably going back to the 1970s, you know, when they even played in that smaller rink where there wasn't a lot of room to get around and they made sure you didn't have a lot of room to get around. Uh, you know, I, I think you associate, when you say the name Boston Bruins, you, you think of things like... Uh, you know, like a lot of resolve, a, a lot of toughness, a lot of the good old being difficult to play against, and then usually, depending on the year, having a, a, at least some talent to to outscore your opposition when you need to, and in some years, a lot of talent. The, the here's the crazy thing about Boston: this is this is the halfway point of their season. They are plus 68 in goal differential. They have wow. 156 goals for and 88 goals against. But, you know, Ken Holland talks here about trying to build a program. And, and I think that's what I would say about the Bruins. They have built a program. You know, they've, they've had obviously some very good players along the way. Not all of them are there anymore, but some of them are still there. They've done a good job building around those guys. And they uh, they play a certain way. I mean, they, as I was saying, they, they, they usually have some toughness. They usually have a good goaltender. Um, they're, they're usually able to, to punish you. And, and again, they usually have enough skill that they can get the goals they need. So that's why I would say that. I think the Bruins have been like that for a while, and it sort of pains me to say that. I work with two big Bruins fans here, Randy Kilburn and Shea Gannam. Mm -hmm. Randy was telling me he had, he had nowhere near these expectations for the Bruins, that he's pleasantly surprised. Mike Murphy coming up. 
do you say hello to your customers when they're everywhere? Think Core's Creative Services. We can help reach your entire audience, internal and external, like no one else, no matter where they are. Find out how. CoorsCreative.ca.